The NBA playoffs are here. This is the best time of the year if you're a basketball fan. I love April. I love May. If you're looking to see any upcoming playoff games live and in person, wherever you live, I want you to check out the SeatGeek app. It's the best place for uh, to save money on NBA playoff tickets. It's a 100% free service. What SeatGeek does, it aggregates tickets from every major ticket site online, puts them all in one place to make comparison shopping for tickets easy. Uh, I would compare it to kayak.com for sports and concert tickets. When you're ready to buy tickets, you can snag a great deal right from your phone. Just a couple taps on the app. No better way to find playoff tickets. The other thing, they have technology called Deal Score That calculates what every ticket in the building is worth and whether the price you're paying for that ticket is a good deal or a bad deal. Sounds complicated. It's not. And I have a special uh, bonus for you. Promo code BILL in the SeatGeek app. You get $20 rebate off your first SeatGeek purchase. It takes less than a minute to download the app. I would do so. Promo code Bill. SeatGeek will send you $20 after you made your first SeatGeek purchase. Download that app and enjoy the NBA playoffs. Thank you. Grandland presents Bill Don't Lie. Welcome to the Build On Live podcast. New, usually we do this on a Monday, but we had to push to Wednesday this week for a couple of reasons. I apologize. I apologize if your Monday was submarine because you didn't have the Build On Live NBA pod. On the line right now, ESPN.com's Tom Hammerstroh. How are you? I'm good. What's happening? Where have you been watching these playoff games? You've been you've been traveling around, right? Yeah, we actually went to New Orleans and San Francisco, or I should say Oakland. I covered the Pelican side uh, for a little bit. And then once that series got done, I came back to Miami and have been here ever since. Not Miami's not in the playoffs. No, no, not, not at all. And in fact, uh, it'd be interesting to see what they could do in this playoffs. Uh, but of course, uh, that didn't work out. And they were bored and they were like, hey, uh, ESPN was like, hey, would you like to go cover the Pelicans? I was like, you're telling me to cover the Pelicans in New Orleans and San Francisco? I'm in. So. Yeah. It was like when they first offered me a job to cover the Heat in Miami. They were like, hey, we're going to pay you to cover the Miami Heat. Are you cool with that? Like traveling to Miami and cover? I was like, yeah, sounds good. Same thing here. San Francisco and New Orleans. I don't know if you can pick two better cities to cover. So I was very, very happy. Yeah, it's too bad it didn't go seven for you. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, I got to see Anthony Davis uh, in his first postseason. That was pretty crazy. So, Yeah, I hope he... I hope uh, at some point he gets better teammates and a better coach, but we'll see. It was a, it yeah. was a nice first start for him, but you know, I it's I was just getting mid two thousand LeBron flashbacks. If you get mid drift, yeah, you know what I was thinking, and I I should probably write about this, but I'll just mention it to you is. I would be fascinated to see if they could get Tyreek in a trade to Denver for Ty Lawson, some sort of trade built around that. Get Ty Lawson pick and roll with Anthony Davis and hire Mike D'Antoni as the coach and just oh, run man. run seven seconds or less with Amari Stoudemire being replaced with Anthony Davis. It would be incredible. So you had a big – is the piece up you had about LeBron that you sent me? Yep. Uh, it just went up a few minutes ago. Uh, okay. ISO LeBron is what I called it. Yeah. So this was my fear with Cleveland heading into the playoffs was that they're just so predictable when it's either like, oh, it's Kyrie's turn. Oh, it's LeBron's turn and everything's ISO. Now, you could do that when you have two of the best six offensive players in the league. But at the same time, there's a predictability 
with how they're operating that I think the Bulls certainly exploited in game one. And tell us what your numbers found as you research this. Yeah, so um, he is ISOing the heck out of the ball. He's averaging 11.2 isolations per game, according to Synergy Sports Video Tracking, which is more than every other player in the NBA by far. The next highest is Anthony Davis at 5.8, DeMar DeRozan at 5.8. So he's doubled that. And the problem, Bill, here is he's not that athletic enough to do that like he might have been able to pull that off in cleveland you know five years five years ago but this 30 year old lebron doesn't have the athleticism to just power through guys uh turn that corner and get up and so the it's inefficient and it's just bad to watch and if you're a teammate i mean standing in the corner and watching lebron go one against three like that he did against uh chicago that's got to be kind of deflating and it is interesting when he joins a new team this is what happens so I went to game three in Boston and it seemed to me like they had finally figured out that offense with the with Love was out there, J.R. Smith, Shumpert, mm-hmm. Kyrie. Um, they always had three shooters plus a rebounder. And LeBron would have the ball and the guys would move to different spots and it was like it it seemed like it was kind of devastating. But now Love's out, J.R. Smith's out. They're on the same shooters. And Chicago yeah. just seems like it's ready for, hey, here's LeBron again. He has the ball. And they just pack the paint. And I, I don't know how that gets better for Cleveland here. It doesn't. And at least with J.R. Smith, he's going to come back in game three. But uh, in the short term, they've got to make hay with Tristan Thompson and uh, Timothy Mozgov just bull rushing the, the offensive boards and trying to get you know decent offense out of that because they don't have enough shooters. I mean, right now, Mike Miller and James Jones aren't going to give you that. They, they're not. I mean, in Miami, Mike Miller two years ago, um, he was basically a corpse out there and he was still able to hit shots, but I don't know what's happened to him. Basically couldn't get off the bench this year uh, and he might just be, I mean, I hate to say it because it seems so mean, but he might be washed at this point. And then James yeah. Jones, he can't play the four. They did it a bunch in the regular season, but he's not going to be able to bang around with Joakim Noah, even though Joakim's not going to be scoring uh, a bunch of points on him. He's not going to overpower him in the post, but just it's not going to work out with James Jones at the four, I don't think. And so LeBron is going way ISO, um, and it's not good. I mean, he he has more isolations per game than 11 playoff teams. It's insane. So is that David Blatt or is that LeBron? Well, the other problem is Love goes out. Now LeBron basically has to play the four, which might not necessarily be a bad thing because I I actually like when they play him at power guard. But against the Bulls, it's a problem because the Bulls are big. It's It's one of the few teams in the league that can always put out two tough guys who can guard anybody, you know, and then, and Gasol is a problem for them too. So it's, it's almost like this was the worst possible situation for them, losing love right before the series and then losing J.R. Smith for the first two games, which was now you've lost two of your four, three point shooters. And uh, I wouldn't be shocked if they lost tonight either. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised either. And the thing is, you know, in Miami, I think, Shane Batty was so pivotal for them because he could hit that corner three. He could make smart plays. He could be, you know, he would get, he would get his ass handed to him by Carlos Boozer or David West, whatever it was for a few minutes, but it was just so much harder to guard him out on the perimeter. And he was able to make those smart plays, but um, they don't have that guy. They don't have that dream on green who can fill those gaps. Um, So it'll be fascinating to see here what they do to change it because LeBron is not, 
the guy he was five years ago. We talk about trading, you know, you know, taking turns between Kyrie and LeBron, like LeBron and, and Dwayne Wade. I was there. They admitted that they took turns that first year, but they were so yeah. much younger. Like LeBron could do that and get good stuff, take healthy shots, like power his way to the basket. Now his PR is way down his lowest in his playoff career through five games. And his, you know, his regular season PR was down. His productivity is down. And I just wonder, you know, is this him, reacting to being 30 years old is is he starting to realize this is getting harder for him but at the same time he feels like he has to rescue the cleveland cavaliers out of their you know title drought you said uh you had in that piece this pr for the playoffs through i think five five games games. just just to start 21.3 which is to put that in perspective i think blake is at like 26 chris paul's at 25 davis was in the high 20s um, LeBron is usually high 20s, sometimes will even edge into the 30s. So 21 is low for them. Now, I, you know, PR is a somewhat flawed stat, but it does give you a good, a good kind of feel for how somebody's doing offensively. 21 is very low for him. Yeah, yeah, and, and also his jumper has been off for a while. I mean, more than a month now, he hasn't been able to get that jumper going, and so. I guess it's just nothing's really working for him in that sense. And it's weird. We haven't had one of those, oh, my God, LeBron games. Like, when was the last time you had one of those, oh, my God, LeBron is the best player on the planet game? Like, it's been so long. Like, isn't Blake Griffin right now more like vintage LeBron than LeBron himself? Yeah. Let's talk about Blake and uh, some of the numbers he's putting up. Because, (laughs) uh, what is he, five straight triple doubles. I think he's 27, 13, and 8. Something like that. If only Oscar Robertson in 1963 is compared. This was the Blake Griffin I've been waiting for for six years. The guy who he always had all of these gifts, and now he's finally kind of figured out how to blend them. I can't. Do you think it's an aberration, or is this the new Blake Griffin? No, this is this is him, and I think this is has been in the making for some time now. I think he's trusting that jumper, obviously, but he's using it to his advantage. It's it's something I thought he got a little carried away with in the regular season, Bill, is that he's taking that mid-range jumper a little too much over kind of like, you know, <laughs> trying to prove to your older brother that you can do something and just overdoing. And then you're like, dude, just relax. Like you, you have that jumper, relax. And I think that's what Blake Griffin did in the regular season, but he, it forces the defender to come out and it forces the defender uh, to not camp, camp out in the paint, which is what they used to do against him. And I remember like halfway through the season, I dug up this stat that he led the NBA in lobs, like lob passes, not lob finishes, lob passes to DeAndre Jordan. He is so skilled at putting the pass right on the money. And it's, I don't know, Bill. Is there any more guys out there who think he's just a dunker? Like, is is that just a a straw man argument um, that we, you know, there's still people out there that think he's just a dunker? Because right now he's he is LeBron James, like vintage LeBron James, with his paint game, uh, with his jumper, with his ball handling. I mean, it is unbelievable to watch. Uh, without Chris Paul, he's taking over the point guard duties. He's the Spurs just couldn't figure out how to stop him when he was at the top of the key. And a lot mm-hmm. of the stuff the Clippers ran for ran on their offense was designed to either get Chris Paul, that little 15 footer, or to get Blake um, the ball at the top of the key, either against a mismatch or just whoever. It didn't even matter. And I think the difference, the thing I've noticed just from going to the games the last few years is his mentality for the first four years of his career was always to try to dunk on people. And now I think 
I think he realizes he can use his athleticism to get to the the free throw line. Before he was kind of, yeah, I don't, I don't know if he was that comfortable at the free throw line. You know, it wasn't like an Antoine Walker or Rajon Rondo situation. But I do think, you know, a lot of the times he was always trying to go up and over. And now he, he realizes, like, if he's got a little a little angle on somebody or whatever and he goes into them, he's going to get he's going to get to the free throw line, he's going to put fouls on people. He's just he, it's just a more sophisticated offensive game and he's also a really good passer, you know, and that's something that's always been the case, but I think now uh now people are starting to realize it and I wonder sometimes it, this is something a couple people have said and I don't Rick Bucher I think tweeted this recently and it got me thinking about it again. In, in in some ways, it's too bad him and Chris are on the same team, because I do think you could run an entire offense through Blake. It's almost it's almost like you have two guys who are creators slash playmakers, and you don't necessarily need them on the same team. Does that make sense? Yeah, but you need those guys. You need multiple guys who can do that to win a championship, right? You need Dwayne yeah. Wade and LeBron James. You need Kobe Bryant, Pau Gasol, Andrew Bynum. You need multiple guys to do that for you. But it is fascinating to see we've gotten this. Last two seasons, Bill is where they they're out for a section of the regular season, and it catapults them into the into the MVP race. And it just goes to show, like when you have to share the ball with someone as ball dominant as Chris Paul, and that's not a knock on Chris Paul. It's just you know he has the ball and he's a magician with it. Um, but it just goes to show, like Blake Griffin can do this stuff. Like right now, yeah. Bill, he is averaging Blake Griffin more touches per game than anybody in the NBA in the postseason. One hundred and six touches per game and no one else is higher like usually wow. you see point guards like Derek Rose is at number two Chris Paul is at number three Jeff Teague is right up there but right up like better more touches than anybody is Blake Griffin you just do not see that from a big and he's doing it he's proving that he can make those passes and facilitate the offense um, and it's making when Chris Paul is healthy if he gets healthy this playoffs it's going to be really tough to guard as you saw with the Spurs if the Clippers make the next round, I think you have to do a deep dive and try to figure out if their four through nine guys are the worst in PR history <laughs> for for conference for a conference final team. They had, I think, six of their top nine. It was one, two, three, but then six through nine were all under eleven PR. If you include Hedu Turkaloo, who was like, I think he might even been minus. But, yeah, he might have been negative. <laughs> it, uh, and Aaron Aflalo was minus five. You really see the minus five for PER. But, uh, it's tough to play it, on one arm. It is, uh, <laughs> it is incredible how bad their bench was, and yet, they, and yet they advanced. And then their bench came through without Chris Paul in game one. I don't know what to make of the Clippers anymore. I really don't. It's tough. That's not a good sign, Bill, because I think you're the biggest Clippers expert out there. And if you don't know what, what to expect from game to game, I mean, I don't know how we're else how we're going to survive. But this is this is, you know, JJ Redick has to step up at some point um, because they need they need that fourth guy. They need they absolutely need that fourth guy. I don't know how often they're going to be able to rely on a fourth guy coming up big. I mean, Austin Rivers. It's weird because I felt like. Every, he's like the laughing stock of Twitter, right? Austin Rivers, yeah. and he falls on the ground, and everyone's jumping all over, me included. I mean, I was yeah. I was in on that. But he came out with probably as good of a performance on the whole as you'll see from him, and that's a huge spot. Think about how much pressure Austin Rivers, how much ridicule he usually gets to come in. And I wouldn't say he had a great game, but by his standards, he kept them afloat. He's better on the road than at home. So at home, there's a weird energy when he comes in, like he can't win. I described it as 
you know, little league parents freaking out because the worst kid in right field has a pop fly toward him. And you just kind of feel the nervous energy when he's out there. Reddick was interesting because he no-showed game seven until the last six minutes. And he just yeah. couldn't couldn't get going and was just way off. And I, I think out of anybody that had, he seemed the most, I, I hate to use the word nervous, but something was going on. And then he finally got in his groove. It's really hard for me to come out of that Spurs series. I wrote about uh, Game 7 yesterday for Grantland, but Parker was so bad in that series. If he had been passable by Parker's standards, I think San Antonio wins. And so that, that makes me think, all right, how good is this Clippers team? And I think you almost have to do that with you have to do that with a lot of these playoff teams, right? Like Houston, everybody's feeling great about Houston after the Dallas series. Well, Dallas was terrible, you know? And maybe we shouldn't have been that surprised that they no-showed Game 1. I don't know how good Houston is. What do you think of Houston? Well, before we get on to Houston, I want to make this point because Hubie Brown brought this up. I talked to him a few weeks ago about something else, and he was talking about Tony Parker. And one of the you know virtues of Tony Parker is that he just wears you down. I mean, it's he runs around the floor. He averages more distance per minute than any player in the NBA last year. And because when he makes that pass, like in that offense, he just keeps running. He keeps running you off screens and he just keeps moving. That's how pop does it. So he wears Chris Paul down, but on top of the fact that he was laboring, like he isn't able to do that. But on the other side too, is the Deandre Jordan Hackashack was giving Chris Paul rest. So as much as you want to say that, um, Hackashack has its has its uh, benefits. I think giving Chris Paul that extra rest and Tony Parker's not running him around as much nearly as he did last year. Um, I think that had some I don't know kind of ripple effects on Chris Paul that people probably don't realize is if if Tony Parker, like you said, is healthy. I think it's a different series. I think sp- the Spurs win, and partly because I think Chris Paul is just going to be extra gassed. Uh, you, you saw how gassed he was in that in that series, but Tony Parker would just knock him out. I think. Yeah, and I guess conversely, Hack a Shack, Hack a DJ really helped Duncan and enabled them, it enabled him to probably play another five, six minutes in each game. But um, Danny Green also stunk in that series. The re- really, the reality is none of the Spurs, except for Duncan and Mills, played as well as they did last year. And that was the biggest reason that they didn't take that series home. None, nope, they didn't have that extra guy who really stepped up. And I was really disappointed in Kawhi, in Kawhi Leonard because... I was on the bandwagon of him being a, a, a top seven or top eight player. And I, and I think the problem with him is I'm not sure he trusts his own talent yet. You know, they, anytime he had the ball at the top of the key, it felt like he could get whatever shot he wanted. And I think the Clippers were afraid of that. But I don't think he trusts the fact that he can get any shot he wants. And I think, you know, he's only 23. I think this is year four for him. But in, until he kind of... It, it's almost like he's got to realize, like, hey, Tim Duncan's thirty nine. Like, where is we're winning this series because of my offense, you know? And it, it doesn't seem like he's made that leap mentally yet. Yeah, he shot thirty one percent in game four, twenty or game five. You know, game six he shot twenty percent in game seven, thirty eight percent. You gotta at some point you gotta hand it to Matt Barnes too. Is that I think he did a yeah. great job against him. And he's probably the unsung hero of the Clippers so far is just him intensity. Um, he's always bringing it, but uh, he's been big. He's been really, really big and not just offensively and, and hitting big shots down the stretch, but also against Kawhi Leonard. So it is, is it, isn't it weird? Like Kawhi averaged 20 points in that series and we're feeling like it was kind of disappointing, but like that the first few games in that series, I felt like just like with you, we were seeing, 
something bigger. We were seeing Kawhi Leonard evolving into, into that superstar. I wrote about it and it obviously didn't happen after I wrote about it, but it seemed like Kawhi Leonard was taking that leap. And uh, unfortunately we didn't get to see what happened in the second, in the second round with him to see if he can continue that trajectory. But I have no doubt um, that he'll get there. But as you said, he needs to have the confidence that uh, he's got to carry that team. And as much as I want to say he was he was on the way to doing that uh, after game four, it seemed like he was taken out of his game and uh, the rest of the way. So until next time with Kawhi Leonard. Yeah, it was a seven-game series, and he basically only had one great offensive game, which, you know, my whole thing is, like, I always call it best player in the court games, which I think should I, – I wish basketball – you know, in hockey they give the three stars – it would be fun if they yeah. did that for basketball just because it would be interesting to look back after the playoffs and see who the three stars were for every game and <laughs> you know who had the most and all that stuff. Kawhi only had game three in that series as like his signature game. Whereas, you know, you look at you, you can go through Blake, Chris Paul, Curry, uh, James Harden, if he ever shows up for round two. Usually guys are going to have, I don't know, three in a seven-game series, they'll have three really memorable games, and to, and one is not acceptable. So, I love Kawhi. I was a little disappointed. I, I I do feel like there's more talent in there, and it's and anything that's holding him back now is in his head because he's he's just got to trust it. He, I think he's I think he could be an unstoppable offensive player. Like even I think like uh, in the last minute they got in the ball, he beat Barnes off the dribble. Went to the right and and just got himself a beautiful twelve foot shot. His jumper he can shoot over anybody, and he short armed yep. it. But you know the, those shots are there for them. Wait, do you think Duncan comes back? Yeah, I do, I do. But maybe that's my demon deacon coming out here is that I I can't bring myself to uh, to imagine an NBA without him. And I think that was <laughs> that was an emotional moment for Chris Paul, not just because he got. You know, he buried the San Antonio Spurs and some of the demons of that he, you know, can't make it in the playoffs. He's, you know, a playoff yeah. disappointment. He's a choker. But I think there, this relationship between those two goes back way before the NBA is that they went to the same college, um, you know, before Chris Paul went to Wake Forest. He probably watched Tim Duncan all the time. So it's not just that he beat the Spurs. I think it was just kind of this passing the torch moment for Chris Paul um, that not only did he beat the Spurs, but it was, it was Tim Duncan and some guy who means so much to him as a kid. But um, I think I read your, it was an awesome piece, Bill. And it just, thanks. It's such a, it's such a, I can't, I can't really imagine what it would be without him. I don't know. The Spurs are just totally different. It's kind of, it just doesn't seem like. Uh, I mean, how long? It's been twenty years. Um, he used to play. <laughs> he used to play with David Robinson. Average twenty and ten with David Robinson. He's still kicking. And I, I don't know. I don't see him riding off in the sunset. Um, I think he comes back next year. What do you think? As of now, now that you've written the article and you've had some distance with it, do you think that you still stick to your guns that you can't imagine that he leaves, or do you feel like he's going to go? I read the the quotes carefully after the game, <laughs> and then the the pop exit interview I, there wasn't anything in those quotes that made me see I just feel like if the Spurs and if Popovich thought he was done after that game I think that would have seeped out in some of the quotes I think that there would have been little signs that you know it would it would have been one of the teammates saying man you know that might have been Timmy's last game yeah. I wish we had come through for him nobody said anything like that Popovich's 
exit interview, which was really interesting, which I linked to in that piece, where he basically said, Tim Duncan was our best player. I feel bad we let him down. We, we you know, our supporting cast just didn't come through for them. We got to fix that. All that stuff made it seem like Tim Duncan was coming back. Yeah. And he was so good in that series. It would be almost, it would be really ballsy for him to retire. Like, even Russell, when <laughs> Russell retired in 1969, they won the title. But Russell's, you know, his stats were cratering a little bit. And he just, he physically, he wasn't the same. He was trying to coach the team. He was maybe 50% of what he was in his prime. He was still Bill Russell. But, you know, you could see things kind of, there was a, a little bit of a tipping point. Um, you look at Kareem in 1988, who just couldn't rebound anymore and looked mummified and whatever, but still had this guy hook. They went to him on the biggest play of the game in game seven of the 88 finals. And it was like, you could have seen him retiring after that game, but he came back. He sucked one more year out of it. I just feel like Duncan... I, don't you think he's still one of like the best 10 or 12 players in the league? I voted for him for second team all NBA. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. And, and <laughs> he can still bring it on both ends. Right. So it's not just, he's filling it in offensively like Kobe, like trying to just get the the scoring column filled up and just doing whatever he can do offensively. And then defensively, he just lacks, like he's doing it on both ends of the floor. And when I read your, when I read your piece about Tim Duncan, I, I kept thinking like, where, when people walk out on top, where does Michael Jordan's exit? Like, where do we, where, how do we compartmentalize Michael Jordan leaving twice? Um, like, do we even just, just ignore that whole thing and just say like, that didn't happen with Michael Jordan. Like I know he walked off on top and then came back twice, but it, I don't think right. it's really the same situation with Tim Duncan, but when he walked away after winning the title, it seemed like, that was impossible. Like, how could you walk out on top? And the same way, Tim Duncan, I just don't see, he definitely has stuff left. He definitely has it in him. Um, I don't see him walking away though. Like, like Michael did. Yeah. The Jordan thing was a little fluky because there was a sense that that bulls run was going to be over. Pippen was a free agent. Phil Jackson and the ownership hated each other. And there was always kind of a, a last stand kind of feel to that run. Uh, the Haberstam book did a really good job of, of, just pointing out how screwed up that Bulls team was internally and how in a lot of ways everybody kind of knew that that was the last run. I don't think Jordan knew for sure that he was done though. And what happened was there was a lockout the next season. Um, basically it went all the way through January, February and some, somewhere during that time he cut his finger um, lighting a cigar in one of the cigar cutter things. And he really like messed up his finger. His finger needed, he cut tendons. He needed like five seconds. So he ended up retiring I don't know if he ever felt that great about it, um, which is eventually why he came back and did the Wizards thing. Duncan, you know, 18 years, it's never, it's, he knows he'll never be as good next year as he was this year. Um, if he feels like this Spurs team as presently built doesn't have a chance to win the title, that's what makes me wonder if he'd come back. And I do think, you know, from a free agency standpoint, I think this team needs to, add a big piece you know I, I don't think they can just bring back the team we just watched without Manu and and actually compete for the title um, and before and before you explain that to us we should mention that we had to switch from Skype to a cell phone for you so the connection is going to sound different we didn't want people listening to think that uh, some chicanery was going on anyway go ahead 
I think there is some chicane. I think the Spurs don't like us talking about uh, their free agency plans this summer, so they cut it off. No, yeah, I'm on the cell phone, and uh, yeah, the Wi-Fi cut out. So anyway, this is this is the weird thing about the Spurs. Like, part of me says, Bill, part of me says, if Tony Parker's healthy, I, we're talking about this team being a championship waiting to happen. And I don't know whether we're overreacting and saying they need LaMarcus Aldridge or they need Marcus Stoll. Uh, they need to add that big free agent in order to continue this thing. Honestly, I think they can run it back. And that's as crazy as it sounds to say a 39-year-old Tim Duncan, he's nearing 40 years old next time. Um, I just, part of me says, I, I think they can roll the dice again. And if Tony Parker's healthy, we're just having a different conversation. I don't think they have any chance of Marc Gasol, and I don't think anyone does because I think he's staying in Memphis. He, he went to high school there. I, I don't see any situation where he leaves. But I think there's a real chance for Aldridge. And especially, you know, one of the biggest things that happened in the playoffs was how badly Dallas just fell apart. It, you know, went beyond just them getting killed in a playoff series. Like, they, they have real issues now. They gutted their, you know, uh, they gutted their first-round pick next year plus – a couple good role players for Rondo, who's now leaving. Um, Monte Ellis, that situation got pretty toxic. He might leave. Tyson Chandler's a free agent. There's a like if I'm Aldridge and I'm looking at that team, that's not a team I'd want to go to. And then you look at Houston. You know he goes there, but he's going to James Harden's team. You know, and I, I think if he if you if you're thinking like him and you think like all right, he could go to a big market like New York or Boston. Maybe even uh, Orlando, which isn't a big market, but no state tax there. Um, and be kind of the guy. In New York, you'd have to share it with Carmelo, but you know what I mean. Um, San Antonio, you go, and you're basically, Duncan is now passing you the torch and, and handing over his team to you. But you also get to play with Duncan for at least a year. That's pretty appealing. And, it, and it's actually a lot easier for them to do it than you think because they'd only have to find a taker for a splitter's contract. And you could use a first-round pick to get rid of it. I mean, Splitter's a decent center. You know, he makes 8 or $9 million for two years. That's a very fair price. I, I don't think they'd have a lot of trouble trading that contract. So I think if 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 Duncan knew that Aldridge was com- coming, maybe he stays two more years, you know? That makes his life a lot easier. So I don't know. I don't know what to expect from the Spurs. Yeah, it's kind of like the reversal where Tim Duncan comes to – David Robinson as he rides off into the sunset, and then now we're seeing the tables turn with Mark Aldridge. I don't. I, I think it's kind of scary. You know, we do this thing every time the, the the San Antonio Spurs get talked about with a free agent or a trade option. Is like, what would the Spurs do with Lamarcus Aldridge? <laughs> and right. like, he would be a three point shooting like instead of taking fifty mid range jumpers a game, he takes like five outside the three point line. It becomes that much more efficient. And he doesn't have to do everything for them in the same way. I mean, he was taking 20-plus shots every game for them uh, when, when Wes Matthews was out in the playoffs and he shot something like 30%. But he wouldn't have to do that. He wouldn't have to do that with the San Antonio Spurs. And I think they'd make him more into a dynamic uh, player in the same way as, as Chris Bosh. It's funny, when I talked to Chris Bosh last year uh, for a finals feature, he said the guy that he – likens himself the most is LaMarcus Aldridge. And he, every time he goes against LaMarcus, he like, it's like looking in the mirror. And so it's yeah. interesting to think of in that respect is can LaMarcus Aldridge be that guy that Chris Bosh was for the Miami Heat in the last two championships? What are you hearing about Chris Bosh? 
Um, I think he's getting back into shape. I think he's doing activity. I think he's getting back onto the floor. And I think he wants, um, I think he wants to be ready for a training camp. And I think this is, uh, from what I can tell, he's feeling good. He's feeling really good. And, um, you know, this is, it was a really tough time for him. I remember when he went out for a few weeks with that ab strain in the playoffs and he wasn't with the team, it really killed him. It killed him because it's just this weird not being with the team after playing all season long with them and watching from them, them from the bench. And sometimes when they went on the road, he wasn't with them. And it just made him appreciate basketball that much more. And I think, um, I think he was not good on defense this year. And I think that was one of the biggest things that Eric Spolstra one of the biggest knocks you can put on Spo this year was he wasn't able to put a good defensive outfit on the floor until Hassan Whiteside came in out of nowhere and fell into his lap. Because um, Bosch wasn't bringing it defensively. He wasn't that guy. And I think it was a 20-10. and 10. He wanted to be a 20-10 and 10 guy offensively and be that rebounder, but he forgot that complete other end of the floor, uh, which was defense, which is what he was really great at. Um, people don't give him enough credit what he did defensively especially against the Spurs, but um, he's got to do better. And I think, uh, I think he'll get there. I think he'll get there um, after the blood cut issue that was just so scary. I think he'll get back in time for next year. But um, the word is, is I think he's, he's starting to get more exercise and more workouts and uh, trying to actually do basketball activity. What about Dragic? Is that a foregone conclusion that he resigns there or are they worried they might lose him? Uh, LeBron taught me not to make, <laughs> not to write these things in pen. Uh, right. but in pencil, I would say, uh, you can expect Goran Dragic to be back. And I think Eric Spolstra has a really interesting, I think a good problem on his hands is think about all those pieces. I don't know how they work. Dragic, Dwayne, uh, yeah. Lou, Luol Dang, Chris Bosch, Josh McRoberts, Hassan Whiteside. Birdman, like where? How do all those pieces fit? Do you build your team around Goran Dragic and like run up and down the floor? Because Dwayne Wade's not having that. Like Dwayne Wade does not want to be a seven seconds or less team. But you could do that with with Dragic running the fast break. You have Bosch playing the Amari Stoudemire role. Although Bosch isn't really an up and down player, uh, but you set pick and rolls with with Hassan Whiteside rim running. That's a devastating team, but. You can't really build your your team around that because then you got Dwayne Wade, so you got to make him happy. And I think this is the next step: is Eric supposed to figure out how Dwayne Wade's career is going to go from here? Is is he going to be a Manu Ginobili or is he going to be a Kobe? And that's going to be fascinating to watch. What do you think? I really like that team, but I also thought it was very interesting that Riley he didn't quite call out. Dwayne Wade, but he kind of did a little bit, and so did Spolstra about the need for that. They just got to, they have to get a full season out of him, and he's got to get in better physical shape. And I, I didn't really know what they're trying to accomplish because it seems to me like Wade just has a lot of miles on him, and this is who he's going to be. And yet, they the way they talked about it and what they expected from him made it seem to me like they weren't totally happy with how his conditioning and his ability to play through pain and stuff like that, how they just weren't that happy with it. What did you make of that? Um, I think I think it would be BS to blame it on him because they asked him through all these injuries to play way more minutes than I think Dwayne expected going into the season. And maybe he should prepare for anything, uh, but he had to basically carry that offense 
he was taking a bunch of mid-range jumpers that, you know, it was really ugly offense there at the end of the season. But um, I think they had to put a lot on his shoulders to be that guy in the fourth quarter to carry them. Um, And I don't really blame him for the season that he had. I think it was a lot on his plate. And physically, uh, you know, it's it's hard for me to knock Dwayne Wade. So I think I think they'd love to go after a two. And I think they'd love to go after a two that could ease the minutes for Dwayne. I don't know if he's ready to come off the bench, even though that might be the best thing for them as a team is to get you know wow. twenty eight great minutes instead of thirty five so so minutes. Um, but maybe in about two years uh, that'll happen. But I, I don't think that they can blame Dwayne Wade for not being in shape. Well. So that's interesting because they're going to have their free agent mid-level exception this year. And the one thing we've learned over the last 20 years is that people like playing in Miami and people like going to Miami and people you don't think would necessarily go to Miami end up in Miami. And you you mentioned they have seven pretty good seven-man rotation, but if they were able to get that kind of swingman-ish 25 minutes a game guy who shoots threes and slash and kick guy – and, and cut Wade's minutes backwards, turn a lot of the team over to Dragic, maybe you become two teams where when it's Dragic and Wade out there, you know, you're you're playing a little bit slower, but when Wade's not out there, maybe you're a little more seven seconds or less. It's a pretty interesting team. And the other thing is, you know, it's not like the East has been that impressive. <laughs> Atlanta might lose Millsap this summer. You know, Atlanta might go south next year. And uh, Cleveland, who knows? Chicago seems like win or lose, this Thibodeau thing is going to blow up, and who knows what's going to happen with that team. I don't think it's that unrealistic to think that they'll be in the legitimate mix in the East next year with one or two moves. Totally. I'm with you. I mean, that starting five, if they all come back, is as good as any in the Eastern Conference, especially when you have the question marks in Cleveland with Kevin Love and his shoulder issue. You just don't know. Um, but that starting five, and it's a weird game we play. Like, top three, no. Top four, no. But starting five... Uh, it seems pretty arbitrary, but it, it's true. Is Hassan Whiteside led every player in the NBA in points per touch this year? Like when he got the ball, it was bucket, and he was um, as dominant a scoring center as we saw this season when he was healthy. And of course, he had that lacerated uh, that hand that completely changed the season. But I mean, that is that is a crazy good piece that you would normally want to build around. Just a guy who can get buckets like that. We just haven't seen that center do that. Um, in some time. And now, you know, you look on the free agency market and who's that guy that's going to give you that 25 minutes off the bench or, you know, 25 minutes starting and, and convincing Dwayne Way, look, like, we need to cut down on your minutes. We want to have, you know, a man who Ginobili type rest of your career where you're giving 28 good minutes every night. But you're not going to be able to do that when, <laughs> when Henry Walker is starting at the two or James Ennis is starting at the two. You're not going to convince Dwayne Wade to do that unless they have like a Danny Green or unless they have like a Lou Williams or a, or a Chris Middleton to, to play that two. The problem is I don't know if a mid-level exception is going to do it. So We, we forgot one thing, though. Say. We forgot that they have the 10th pick in the draft. That's True. That's a piece. And knowing Riley and how lucky that dude's been over the years, I wouldn't be shocked if they snuck into the top three. It'd just be classic, typical Miami slash Riley. So all of a sudden they're in the top three. They're, they have Justice Winslow in their team. Uh, <laughs> so you think they're going to rig the draft to get Pat Riley another break? No. 
No, I just think he gets lucky. I think if they were going to rig the draft, the Knicks and the Lakers would have the top two picks. That's true. Would, would be uh, would be my preference. But you know, the other interesting thing about the lottery is if if any of uh, Team Eleven, Team Twelve, Team Thirteen, or Team Fourteen, if they jump Miami and go into the top three, Miami goes backwards to eleven. They lose their pick. They have to give it to Philly. So it's yeah, gonna be, and that would be amazing. That would be that would be a game changer. That would that would you know like I think I think Pat Riley, you know he's in Barcelona right now. He's overseas recruiting and like checking out um, international prospects, which is very unlike him. Yeah. Um, if there's a xenophobe like GM who just doesn't like international players, it's Pat Riley. Like there just had never uh, been that many international players on the Miami Heat. Gron Dragic is the outlier here. So, um, you know, I think he'd, he'd be happy to choose at number 10, but, you know, a guy like CJ Miles could help. And he's under contract for a very, um, a very reasonable contract in Indiana. And if Indiana is trying to retool, um, maybe you offer Indiana the 10th pick for the 14th trade back at, uh, CJ Miles, who I think is a really underrated player. I think he, after the All Star break, only Steph Curry made more threes than CJ Miles after the All Star wow. break. So you got a three point shooter who can play defense. Um, that's the type of player that the Heat need is that dynamic two two way player at the guard position to help alleviate those minutes. Um, but you have to you know you have to trade that ten pick if you're going to have to make a move for that uh, type of player. So that would well, be fascinating. Yeah. The, and the other way this could go, I have to mention it. You know, Dang makes ten million a year, and he's I think he's only under contract for next year, basically. You could package that 10th pick with Dang and try to get, you know, a pretty big chess piece if you wanted. Yeah, it's just who's going to play the three then. Are you trusting James Ennis to do that? And maybe they go after a guy who can play the two and the three. Um, But, you know, this is is the issue. You know, last year, I think Pat Riley made the mistake is not having a two on the roster that could save Dwayne Wade and yeah. keep him fresh. And I think we were talking about it all year long. That's a, that's a, I don't think they're going to make that same mistake. So I think their priority is to find a wing player that can alleviate those minutes. But yeah, Lou Aldang, that's an interesting piece because I think with Josh McRoberts he's, and, and Dwayne Wade and Goran Dragic, like that's a guy who you need is a cutter, a guy who makes smart plays. He doesn't need the ball in his hands. Uh, who can spot up in the corner. That's a really good guy to have. But if you're not banking on Dwayne Wade being healthy and you don't have Josh McRoberts healthy out of the gate, I think you make that deal because that's not the right player um, in that system. I think they need another guy who can be a little more dynamic and be a better shooter. So but that's interesting. I, I think Luol Deng and that pick um, to a contender, that could fetch something. Well, we just spent way too much time talking about Miami. Last thing, uh, give me, give me, uh, if you had to pick two teams for the finals right now, who would you pick? Two teams for the finals? I'm still going Warriors, and I'm, it's tough. It's tough. Um, without Kevin Love and J.R. Smith, they look, they look really bad defensively and offensively, much worse, but it's only one game. So I'm not going to knee jerk after game one. I'm going to say Cleveland's going to get to the finals. Uh, with on the on the back of Kyrie Irving and LeBron James, and they'll meet the Golden State Warriors in the finals. I don't feel great about that. I mean, would you feel great about any Eastern Conference team making the finals? The Bulls are, are the most interesting one to me. They they have so many pieces and the, and they can play defense and they can rebound and they're physical. And Derrick Rose is just such an X factor game to game. Um, 
LeBron needs to go up a level if the Cavs are going to make it because the love thing does hurt them. You know, they you lose 17 and 10. It really reduced their margin for error. It made it so that the, all the different lineups they could play are basically out the window. Um, I got to be honest, like, Washington is Washington's becoming more and more intriguing. You know, they I, I can't rule them out. I can't believe I'm saying that, but you know, they get through this next round, and all of a sudden they're in the finals playing or the Eastern Finals playing a, a, a fairly depleted Cleveland team. I, I don't know. I can't rule that one out. John Wall versus right. Kyrie would be a battle. Pierce, Pierce, uh, LeBron rivalry that goes back ten, twelve years. Um. You know, they're big, they're physical. I think Cleveland would have to play Mozgov and Thompson at the same time, which, um, it, you know, if they went Gortat and Nene, it, it's just, it's it, that would be an interesting series. Yeah, but you're putting your eggs in, I mean, this is the tough part, right, Bill, is you're putting the eggs in John Wall's wrist that basket, or are you putting it in, yeah. in Derek Rose's basket where you don't know if he's going to be healthy enough to, or are you going to put it in the, the Cavs with David Blatt and LeBron James playing ISO ball. Like, which basket are you going to put in? And then the Atlanta Hawks without Pablo Cepelosha, um, and that, without that star power. I mean, what? Which eggs are you going to put your? I, I don't know. I don't know. It's so tough. But I think I'm just going to go with the one that has LeBron James in it. And uh, so that's why I go with the Cavs. It seems really superficial, but it's so hard to project game to game. I mean, Tom Wall just missed the game. That changes everything for the Wizards going forward, right? It's. It does seem like I always look at it like if your life was on the line, what would you do? If your life depended on it, let's say you had to be right with your two finals picks, otherwise you 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 get game. Of I'm thrones. dying. I'm dead. You're, it's like My Game of Thrones. <laughs> no, you're set on fire like they did with the guy in Game of Thrones a couple weeks ago. So it's like you you have to be right. And if you think of it that way, you're going with LeBron James. You're like, you know what? Uh-huh. I'm going to take LeBron. And if he fails me, at least I know that I picked somebody who game to game is probably the best player in the league. I, I go with LeBron. I mean, yeah. uh, gun to my head or spear to my head, like in Game of Thrones last week. Like I'm going, I'm going with LeBron James in the finals. It's really weird of me saying that that, that uh, reductive of an argument, but it's hard yeah. for me looking at the other situation, knowing Joakim Noah, knowing uh, Derrick Rose' health and how fragile that can go. I'm just going to go with LeBron. I don't feel great about it, but if I'm going to be set on fire for being wrong, I'd rather be wrong about LeBron James than I would be about any other team. Yeah. Well, the East is wide open. I, I think the West, it, it, you know, Golden State will win one of those Memphis games because Curry, Curry will have one of those games where he just hits 10 threes and puts up 45 points and just single-handedly beats them. Like that, that will happen in game three or game four. Now, if for some reason they don't get out of game three or game four with a win, that becomes very interesting because the one thing about this Golden State team is they don't have a lot of playoff experience. They this isn't a team that's like you know not beyond playoff experience. They have they don't have a lot of wins. They haven't had a lot of adversity coming back from adversity in playoff games. Steve Kerr probably has the most playoff experience of anybody, you know. And I think even watching Game Two, like Clay Thompson looked a little yippy last night, you know. Um, oh, that's Tony happen. Allen, so good, so good. So that, good. That, that Memphis team is tough, man, and that crowd's going to be really into it. And they had a couple days to rest, which was great for Mike Connolly. And uh, yeah, I think I think Memphis has to win Game Three if they're going to win that series. I thought they're going to yeah. get swept, 
But I think if Memphis has to win game three because I don't think they can beat Golden State three out of four times. But if they win game three, now you just have to go two and two and you win the series. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, Clay Thompson looked so annoyed by Tony Allen. I mean, I think he shot something like one for seven with three turnovers when Tony Allen yeah. was guarding him. And it's just, he didn't talk to the media afterwards. Like, he was pissed. He was not happy. And, you know, that's what Tony Allen does. First team, all defense. Like, that is what he does. And, um, you know, we talk about shooters and how it's changing the NBA. But, like, the antidote for that is a guy who just neutralizes your best shooter or one of your best shooters. Like, that's what Tony Allen does. So, you take off that Klay Thompson shooter, out. you take him out of the equation, it changes. It changes the entire series. So, I think Draymond Green getting in that foul trouble early, that was a big deal, but uh, Tony Allen neutralizing Clay Thompson and making you know Steph Curry beat them. That that is that was impressive from game game two. So I'm with you. This game is the series is a lot closer than I expected. Mike Conley's health was huge. I did not expect that as at this early, but I still think this is Golden State series. That's why I'm high on Marcus Smart. I think worst case scenario, Marcus Smart could be Tony Allen for his generation. He, he's he could be that good defensively, and they, and as you said, it's a really important guy to have on your team. Tony Allen probably won that game for the Grizzlies last night. You know, Curry didn't have a great game, but um, the most important player in that game for whatever reason was Tony Allen. So it's always nice to have that guy. All right, we have to go. Everybody read uh, Tom's piece on ESPN.com today about LeBron because it was pretty interesting. Keep plugging away. Are you traveling for the uh, conference finals? You we'll see. We'll see, Bill. Are you are you traveling? I'm going to go to the West. I'm going to go to some of the West games. Especially yeah, I would, I would advise close. you to go check out the NIT uh, tournament uh, out here. So, yeah, uh, I'll let you know. Uh, but for now, I'll be in Miami uh, getting tan and yeah. uh, and see if I can see Chris Bosh in a gym somewhere, and I'll report back. All right, good. All right, thanks for being on. Take care.